Welcome to Conversations with Claire. I'm your host, Claire Bates. I'm a movement, nutrition, and mindset coach through my app, Wellness with Claire. Podcast host, coach at The Collective in Austin, Texas, sober alcoholic, brand builder, and competitive hybrid athlete. I've created this podcast to share inspiring stories and have meaningful conversations in hopes that we can create community together to learn and grow. Oh, and I hope to make you laugh. <laughs> Welcome to Conversations with Claire. Let's talk about coaching and how to get from where you are now to where you want to be. Wellness with Claire is my very own coaching platform where I offer personalized meal plans, personalized workout plans based on your goals, accountability through community and weekly group coaching calls, mindset coaching and tracking features for results. I also offer one-on-one -on -one coaching, which gives you full app access, direct access to me via WhatsApp and 100% accountability with me, including weekly video calls. Wellness is a mental, physical and spiritual experience. The system works together as a whole, and I'm here to help you live in alignment with your principles and values and actualize a quality of life beyond your current dreams. Check the show notes or the links in bios on socials to find more information about how to get involved with Wellness with Claire today. Hello, and welcome back to Conversations with Claire. Today, I have a guest that I'm stoked to share with you. This is a different spin on things. Like we talk about a lot of wellness and mindset stuff here because that is just, I just love it so much. <laughs> and we got a specialist for that here today. So with me is Roshana Moss. Hello, Roshana. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay. So real quick, who is Roshana? She is a mental performance expert. She has a master's in sports psychology that she got at Penn State. She has corporate experience at IMG and Nike and more. And her niche is bringing performance coaching to coaches, athletes, and executives using sports psychology to take a holistic approach to mental conditioning. It addresses the psychological constructs, overall wellness, and personal brand cultivation in order to sustain personal development. So welcome to the pod. Thank you. Glad <laughs> uh, to be here. Yeah, I'm so grateful that you are here. I always like to start with like the quick how we met. Mm -hmm. And so we met because you coach clients at Collective. Correct. Which is where I now coach clients. Yeah. <laughs> Very surreal mm -hmm. still. So you are the mental performance coach there on site for our athletes, for our executives. And then you also work with people outside of that space. Correct. I mean, I think this is the deal. Like at Collective, we know that that clientele is high performing regardless of what someone's career pursuits are. Mm -hmm. So it's a great venue for that because mm -hmm. people are already trying to maximize their performance. And so as far as my work is concerned, it's like, let's tap into your mindset and break down those psychological constructs so you can go even further than you thought. Yeah. And so what would you say is like your current ratio of clientele, because what I see you, like it said, you've got coaches and then you've got executives and you've got athletes. 
And so if you were to break down your current clientele, what would you say that that looks like percentage wise? Yeah. So I would say right now it's easily 80% corporate okay. and 20% sport. Now within corporate, that really ebbs and flows because there are times, especially when you have like a corporate contract, right? There's a certain sector within that where it's executives. And then there's others that might be like at the managerial level. It just kind of depends. But the easiest way to break it down is 80% corporate right now and 20% on the sports side. Okay. And so with corporate, then you're working with individuals and with teams within that space. Correct. Yep. So I see it this way. It doesn't matter whether you're in sport or whether you're in a corporation. When you're a part of a team, that encompasses the team as a whole Mm -hmm. and then individuals within that team, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can go in and you can do workshops and you can relay a message to a group of individuals to get them all on the same page so that the ship is going in the same direction. Yeah. So there's that. Then there's the intricate pieces where each individual has their own unique story, own unique set of perceptions that if you tap into that on top of the collective work of the team, then you're moving the whole ship forward in a completely different way. So it just depends on the contract. And so with the executive department, I would imagine that people probably come to you as individuals with their teams, with their organizations at a point where they feel like they need help. So a lot of times that is the reason, right? So there are some people who just have a mindset of like always getting better and have that consciousness of it, or there are corporations that always make space for some type of coaching. Most people, when they at least start some type of support, right, it's because they're feeling a need for change. They're feeling also like maybe there is a problem and then people will get in the habit of it and maintain it, right? Yeah. So it just kind of depends on the corporations, like, what would you, like, culture. But yes, there usually is something that we're trying to correct. Yeah. Corrections can be huge. Corrections can also be small. Mm -hmm. But the outcome, regardless, is usually pretty big. And when I think of this, I feel like you fall very heavily into just the corporate wellness world. Corporate wellness is like a a term that I don't even know. I mean, I don't think it's been around a whole heck of a long time, but it's growing in popularity. And when I think of corporate wellness, I now think of a couple of different things. I think of, of course, the program that that corporation maybe has for their employees for helping them with nutrition or helping them with movement. Maybe they offer some sort of a deal in order for them to be in a gym facility or they have an on-site gym facility or something like that. Mm -hmm. But then also now there's this added layer that corporations are starting to identify that still fall within that wellness category that is in between the years. Absolutely. And so I would say, you know, different corporations have come from different places. Like you're saying, there are some that are like, hey, let's make sure we're providing wellness and movement and access to information that is helping our employees from a physical standpoint. There are other corporations that have said, okay, we need executive coaching, which is very close to what I do. The differentiation though, is just because of the psychology background, my interest is to get down to the root of something Mm -hmm. and go down to that deepest level we can possibly find and disrupt it. So that at that point, if you disrupt the root, it's very unlikely that you're going to go back to that point or that you are going to revert, right? So it's almost like 
getting down to literally like how you think yeah, and how you're putting the puzzle pieces together to shift it forever. Yeah. Okay. We're going to get back there, but we're going to back up too. (laughs) So I just love it. So with the, how we met Mm -hmm. part is yes, we met at collective, but we met briefly and then we attended an event together. You were actually one of the speakers and I was just an attendee who got the opportunity to be there because I worked there. And it was just what I feel was like, this quick and easy bond. Yeah. Like, oh, we're bonded. But I think what was really also special for me about that interaction that we got to have a more lengthy conversation, a couple, was you and I are very different. Like we spoke more in depth about your life and Mm -hmm. we spoke more in depth about my life. Mm -hmm. And there are not a whole lot of things up until this point that align Mm -hmm. the way you were raised, the way I was raised. Like there's so many things. So that's, I think, something just really special and unique is that you and I do not come from the same place, yet somehow we landed in the same place and we're able to just immediately bond, which I just think is very special because it reminds me of the thoughts of like existing in echo chambers or being able to be around people that are not like you and able to see differently. And I just love that we got to have that experience. For me, that feels special because it's an opportunity to continue to do more of that. Agreed. And here's the thing, like there is something very special about being able to go into environments and bond with people that are different than you. That's expanding your exposure, expanding your knowledge, and honestly being willing to yield to something that is different than what you know, what you came from, even sometimes what you believe. It's not to say that you have to be a chameleon and constantly shift based on who you're around and what environment you're in. But it's no different than just taking in different information, right? Like if you read one book and you decide that is literally how you are going to live the rest of your life because that one book told you one thing Mm -hmm. versus if you read 10 books, you're more likely to expand your awareness. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So getting in rooms with people that are different than you and being open to new ideas is something you think is important. It's huge. Yeah. I think that with what I do as well, if you're working with an executive team, the reality is they are leading a huge number of people. Mm -hmm. And in order to be a good leader, you have to be open to various ideas. If you have people around you that are only like yes men and yes women, you're probably going to limit your growth. But if you can open up and just see different perspectives and also learn how to lead different types of people, you're going to constantly like be challenged and you're going to constantly be leveling up. So yeah, it's super important. Yeah. You're evolving and growing. Mm -hmm. I've certainly been having conversations recently about like stretching your capacity and just like the impact that that has on you. And it's just like an interesting thing to play with for me because a lot of times in your line of work and in life, like you understand that the way to have a greater capacity is to push your current one. And that's something that's easy to identify in sport, but then we can apply that all over the place in life. And I just think that we like bump up against this like overwhelm, right? And ideally we're not trying to overextend and reach past overwhelm a ton, right? Because then we're not really of use to ourselves or anyone else. Yeah. But like the only way to grow your capacity is to lean into that discomfort. And Mm -hmm. so I've just been having interesting conversations around that topic of like, okay, so we got to get pretty uncomfortable pretty often. 
and sometimes we have to experience that overwhelm and be like, whoa, okay. And you know, and that, yeah. that navigation of yes. all of that. Anyway, I don't, I don't know why that just took me down that road, but there I we love go. It. There you go. I love it. <laughs> okay. So I do want to take it back because we did okay. have a lot of like differences. And so yeah. I want to kind of touch on like you growing up and just, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of quickly take me through, through college. Mm-hmm. Where do you want me to start from though? <laughs> How far do you want me to go back? The points that you think are relevant into your development. Why yep. did you choose to go down the road that you went down? Yep. Okay. So first of all, I grew up as an only child. I think that's significant to my path. And the other piece is, you know, I was an athlete and I fell in love with sport at five. So it was the eighties. Tennis was hot just because of who was playing at the time. Sure. And Houston was a great hotbed for professional like tennis at that point. And that's where I was raised. And so once I was exposed to tennis, like I really took to it. Being an only child as well meant that I had a lot of time alone. So just the amount of time of introspection to think and to process and to try to perfect my craft, it was kind of me, myself, and I in a lot of ways. When I was in sixth grade, I was really serious about tennis and was doing really well and was always dominant from a physical, so like strength, right? Strength and speed standpoint. When I did lose, it was always because of either strategy or something just like mentally not being fully in tune. So for me, if I was trying to perfect my craft, I was like, all right, it's mental. I didn't know sports psychology existed, but I started doing some research. There was no Google, right? In that time. Yeah. And when I thought psychology and I thought sport, I was like, sports psychology literally thought I made the term up. That's, <laughs> that's what having no Google does. Right. <laughs> so, but also how cool that, I mean, yeah, I guess whatever. <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty cool. I'm I think sure. it's kind of funny. So then eventually did the research because it took a lot more effort to do research at that time and figured out there was a profession. And at that point I said, all right, I'm going as far as I can with tennis, but then when I'm done, sports psychology is what I want to do. So I understood that I had to go to undergrad, but at least through grad school as well, like straight through in order to do mental performance sports psychology. Did you make that sort of a decision when you were literally in middle school? Sixth like grade. you were in middle school when you started to be like, that's the path I want to take. hundred percent. And I'm even down to like do the tennis thing as far as I can. And then I'm, and then I'm going to pivot over here. Yep. That's Sixth special. grade. That's special. I mean, yeah. that, that's- I think I was lucky. That is unique. Mm-hmm. Now it's, it's not so unique that other people will not identify right. with it by right. any means. Yep. But that is. Okay, Mm -hmm. carry on. So I pretty much like followed that path. I had a little bit of detour where I quit tennis for, I don't know, maybe three years or so. It was so regimented. It was my life. I saw everyone else having a good time. I wanted to enjoy it a little bit more. And then in high school, I had like a oh shit moment. I was like, there's no way I'm going to college just as a a student. (laughs) I picked it back up, you know, kind of through a Hail Mary and it ended up working out and I ended up playing through my freshman year of college, ended up transferring after that, went to Penn State for my junior year, went through tryouts and then found out that I was academically ineligible because of transferring twice from a liberal arts school to a state school. So the career actually ended my junior year because I was training all the way up until then. Okay. And when it ended, I probably had two weeks of that identity crisis. Sure. But because I knew what I wanted to do and because I honestly already had the relationships with the tennis team, I went straight into mental performance at that point. Wow. Yeah. 
Okay. And you had already been taking classes. Like you were already pretty far in down that path. Well, yeah, because that was my junior year. So I had finished most of my psych classes at that point and was starting to pursue more so the kinesiology side. Yeah. And Penn State was a blessing because it was such a sports school that there was a sports psychologist at Penn State. Then there were professors on the academic side that were focused on sports psychology. So I got so lucky because I was on a campus where they believed in it and were willing to mentor. Yeah. I just have to like quick shout out the Kaufman family back home because they're Penn State fans. And love, just that. Like, love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love um, that. Alum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one's for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So only child. Yep. Any other details about upbringing that are mm-hmm. like you feel like worth mentioning or should we head straight into the next place I want to go, which I know where it is. I'm ready to go when you are. So I would say the only other things that were very significant was, you know, I grew up in a Creole family. So my family's from Louisiana and then most everybody lives in Houston, Texas now. And part of being Creole is usually also being Catholic. So we grew up with a really rich culture. Mm -hmm. I actually think the Cajun Creole culture is one of the richest cultures that still exists within the U.S., you know, if you just think about food and certain traditions, et cetera, like there aren't that many cultures that have that in the States. No, I'm trying to learn more from you. Right. <laughs> just you up. just want to come eat. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, I like to eat. Hey, I understand And that. I like spice. <laughs> totally. And it's cold right now. So it's about time for me to make gumbo. Okay. So I'm trying to come eat. Yeah. You can come eat. <laughs> so I think that just gave, gave me an understanding of what it meant to be around like family and mm-hmm. gather because it's a very tight-knit community. So that was awesome. As far as being Catholic is concerned, we can go a million different directions there, right? But what it did for me is it did root me in a foundation of spirituality. I didn't understand spirituality until I was older, but having a religious basis led me to where I am now, which I would consider spiritual. I would also say from like a discipline standpoint, that was definitely part of it because I was not only Catholic, but went to a Catholic all-girls school. Graduating class was 42. So things were pretty regimented and strict. Yeah. And I learned how to focus as a result. I think that's really cool. Guys, this is exactly why we are like not the same. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, couldn't have been more diverse in those regards, which is just so Cool. Yeah. So you then in your 20s maybe started to step away from identifying. So I'm just making the assumption. So correct You know me what? Wrong, Meaning but... stepping away from Catholicism? Yeah, or... just stepping away from like such organized religion. So you know what did it? Our school was not diverse, but our class was incredibly diverse once we hit high school. Okay. And when I say like diverse, I'm talking internationally diverse. Almost anything you can think of was in that class. And this was in Louisiana? No, this was was in Houston, Houston. Texas. Okay, And Houston's like that, internationally diverse. But our class, I don't know how it happened, but it was this this really awesome experience. And because of that, you're literally putting a lot of second-generation individuals in one room. Mm -hmm. So the food that everyone is eating is different. Everyone's religions are different. Yeah. Perceptions, like in one room. That is so cool. So that's actually what did it because- Growing up, you go to church, your religion is the right religion. Right. And then all of a sudden I'm in front of all these other girls that come from different parts of the world. This is so cool. So being exposed to that at that age. mm -hmm. It was really great. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say like we didn't have conflict. 
we were forced to figure out how to accept each other mm-hmm. and honestly even lean into and indulge in each other's cultures in full acceptance. I think that changed a lot because you have to open up and you're looking at other people and you're like, yeah, well, you're a great person. I love that you had the opportunity to learn that at that age, just because I think so many people do exist in echo chambers from very young ages and it's not by choice at that point, right? Like that is not something they decided to do. It just occurred. Right. And they didn't even have the awareness yet. And I'm sure that as you had that opportunity to experience Mm -hmm. life in that way, you weren't aware of how fortunate that specific environment was until later in life. hundred percent. We even had this incident where we went on a college trip and they're calling the names out to see who goes to the different hotel rooms. Uh And as we're dispersing, we're looking at each other and we're like, what the hell just happened? Because we were divided up by race. And so I was in a room with all other black girls, but I wasn't necessarily close to two of them. And then same would happen with, you know, another room where it was like a group of Asian girls. And we were like, how did this happen? And we realized that from an administrative standpoint, they weren't getting it. And so we had like a come to Jesus Wow. because we were culturally woke because of what we were experiencing and what we had to figure out in ninth grade right? versus the institution that we were a part of. Goodness. So it was that, cool. That hits heavy because you can think about institutions nationwide. Yeah. Where like, I mean, I don't know why I'm relating it to this right now, but prisons, yeah. you know, as an totally. example of like, wow, just all of the different institutions that do put people into those boxes. They sure do. Those people didn't choose to be in that box. No, (sighs) not at all. Okay. Okay. So then I do want to head down the direction of, because you then, so you graduate from Penn state, but you also, something that is relevant that I want to talk about Mm -hmm. is you did have a decade long relationship with a professional athlete and you don't anymore. Yeah. That's a very long-term relationship Mm -hmm. with someone in a unique field that inevitably impacted you. Yeah. So do you want to kind of touch on that at all? Sure. Okay. So when I go back to that, I would say 10-year relationship. Yeah. I would say, honestly, most relationships, there was usually some type of sport or athletic connection because Mm -hmm. being a jock, like... Yeah. To your round. Right. Yeah. (laughs) 100%. So yes, I would say that in terms of impact a former marriage will impact you significantly. I think I was very lucky. My ex-husband's an awesome guy and we had a really great relationship and there was a lot about it that was actually healthy. We were just young. Yeah. That's what it came down to. I got married at 28. Yeah. I thought I was grown. Not yeah. even close. When you had already, you got married at 28 and you had yeah. already been in the relationship since 23. Yeah. Got in the relationship at 23. So pretty much when I started graduate school and then was divorced at by 33. So I would say that with marriage, what I learned is there's so much about it that you don't understand until you actually do it. And I would also say that I am 100% glad that I got married. It is not something I regret at all. I never look back on it like, I can't believe I did that. Like, honestly, I learned a lot. I'm already hearing through all of your experiences, you're finding ways to like, no matter what, you know, you're talking about being a only child, Mm -hmm. an only child. And a lot of people will reflect back on being an only child and find the flaws. And I'm sure that they exist and you can find them. You didn't talk about those just now. You could go with, I was the middle child, you know, whatever. What I'm hearing is this theme of like, you're fine. This is cool. I'm picking up on the fact that you're finding and identifying the takeaways that were positive Mm -hmm. that you could take forward. 
Yeah. And not dismissing the negatives, but understanding right. like, okay, we have to right. move along. Well, I think in psychology and development, we can use life as an opportunity to learn. So the things that do pop up that maybe weren't ideal or that handed us a lesson were there to develop you and push you forward. You have the option to look at it as a deficit and hold you back. I didn't have this. I didn't have that. Or you can say, this showed up to teach me something. Yep. What can I do with it? And then move forward. That is performance. And obviously I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. You know, there have been times in life where maybe I didn't have as a positive view. Sure. But now it's just pointless. Mm. And I think it's important to recognize your emotions because if you don't, honestly, you're not doing the work, but you have to figure out then what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And that's what allows you to move forward. Okay. So we're in our relationship for 10 years, by the way, that was amazing. I'm just, I know we're going to get into more of that. Oh, so good. I'm just going to keep on. Keep okay. It. So marriage for five years, divorce, you've also built and sold businesses. Mm -hmm. Like there's just so much to you that I just want to like cram in here, you know, <laughs> kind of take me down a bit of that journey because you stepped into business for mm -hmm. yourself while you were still married. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. So kind of walk me through some of that stuff. Sure. I was with Nike prior and then 2009 hit. I was living in Nashville with my husband at the time. It was just an economic downfall. Sure. Texas wasn't feeling it as much, but you know, Nike's in Portland. Things were definitely going on there and had the choice to either go back to Portland or stay where I was. It didn't feel right to go back to Portland, just be like, hey, hubby, like I'm out. That did not feel like the right thing to do. Okay. And so went through layoffs. It was hard because to be quite honest, I did think that I would have had a longer career there. I could have seen myself there longer, but it was a blessing in disguise that of course I had no idea was coming. I always saw myself doing entrepreneurship at some point, honestly, later in life teaching, like those things have always been on my radar. Yeah. I just didn't know the entrepreneurship was going to be so early. So because that was taken out of my life, yep. I tried to stay in it, still having conversations with other sports companies, just thinking something else would work. But I didn't feel that feeling in my gut where I was like fired up. I was like, yes, this is a job I want to do that never happened. So when we were living in Nashville. How old were you at this time? Good question. So I was 28. 28. It was the first year of marriage. Okay. Or maybe 29. 28 or 29. Yeah. One of those. Because it was taken away and I wasn't seeing any other opportunities, I was forced to open my perspective. I was here and I had to do this to see other things. Mm -hmm. And there was a concept called Pure Bar that was in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. It was the 17th studio. It had just become a franchise. So it just converted from a license to, to a franchise. Okay. I'm looking at this concept and you know this, like whenever you have a fitness affiliation, you know physical movement and what's efficient and what's not. And one of my ex-husband's teammates was saying, you got to go, you got to go, because he was invested in it. I did not want to go. I thought it was the girliest bullshit exercise I had ever seen. I was used to running at that point and doing more so like CrossFit D1. That's where I was working out. Sure. Just because I was annoyed with him constantly saying something, I was like, let me just go. So shut up. Girl, I went and that workout kicked my butt. And yep. I was like, oh, isometric movements. Literally after that class, I knew that there was something to it. And that was the kinesiology starting to come out. I'm observing from a business perspective. Then I'm looking at who owns these studios. We're talking about young girls, like straight out of school, 
And I was like, well, I've got a few years of business at this point yeah. from a corporate perspective. And then I was like, you know, I think this is something. So I was like, let me teach it first so that I feel rooted in the actual practice. Did that. I was like, this is legit. And then really quickly after that pursued ownership and was accepted. And at that point, I was like, well, I've got to figure this out. And I knew Texas made sense. I just wasn't sure what city. So I was looking at Austin and Dallas, Houston too, but I honestly felt like Houston wasn't ready. Houston is not as fit as Austin and Dallas. Mm -hmm. So it ended up being Austin. That's what happened. I went into it knowing that I wanted to do like two or three studios. So moved pretty quickly on it, was blessed to have a broker that was a family friend and put me in the right location. Mm -hmm. And within two weeks of opening the studio, our classes were full. So we hit the market at the right time. Yeah. And we were number 25, around 25 to open. Now there's 550 locations nationally. You went on to open three? Yep. So ended up with three in Austin and one in Houston. So it was four total. Yeah. And so opened my first one in 2010, opened the fourth one in 2012. Okay. Then finished selling, sold the first ones in 2018 and finished selling in 2019. Okay. Mm -hmm. What a ride. Yeah. It was a ride. Yeah. It was a hell of a ride. Oh my gosh. So obviously there's going to be so many nuggets within the ownership years, the actual in the grind of it. And we could just go down, but like, that's actually not where we're going to head. <laughs> cool with me. Even though I'm sure that there's just so much packed in there. Yeah. But so you open and then within six to eight years of opening all four, you decide this is no longer resonating with me doing this professionally. I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. So I always knew that I was not going to do Pure Bar forever. I always knew that. Now, how long that was going to be, I wasn't sure. Sure. The first five years were such a smooth ride and building, building, building. But I had a good guy friend who was actually killing it on the tech side of a business. And I remember us sitting down and having this conversation in Denver and he was like, you don't have an exit strategy. He was like, that's not okay. And he said, at any given point, you don't know if you're going to want to sell or not. And you're either going to sell on the up or the down, what side do you want to be on? And I was like, okay. (laughs) And then honestly, year five is when a lot of bumps in the road started to happen. And they always say that you stay in business long enough, you're going to deal with some issues. And that's exactly what started to happen. And the franchise was changing just because of equity companies coming in and it no longer sat with my beliefs. Yeah. So it was time to get out. So then you worked through selling businesses. I guess if I were to ask you for just one of your biggest takeaways, I mean, if it needs to be more than one, that's okay. But like from selling a business because it no longer resonated with you and you were ready to do something else, what was the biggest thing that you learned there? Like if there's someone, you know, who's kind of questioning themselves and what they're doing right now or is enjoying the idea of something else maybe like how would you speak to that person what were the lessons the takeaways from selling a business in a concise way sure (laughs) so I think there is a like when someone passes away what happens after grief exactly so I think you're going through a grief stage because you're so attached to your baby I would say get through that grief stage as quick as you possibly can and honestly move on and so that looks like picking up other things 100%. I do think that selling takes longer than you think. And it is another full-time job on top of running and maintaining the job or the business that you have. Mm -hmm. But trust that you can get through it and that there is something on the other side. But you have to figure out how to truly let go. 
I think that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> I think that probably will just kind of like knock some people, you know, because it is just so scary and, and people undergo different periods of time when mm -hmm. things are no longer sitting with them yeah. in the right way. And we find so frequently that people do not know their own intuition. They don't spend enough time with it to even know what it's really telling them, but they feel this nag, but they don't trust themselves. So they just ride this line of taking feedback from others and letting that right. dictate. And while feedback from others has its relevant place, your own gut matters. 1000%. I saw that in retrospect. I love my clients and I love the community we had like 1000%, yeah. but it was not aligning with corporate. And that was really- Which was no longer setting with you. No. And I was really compromising my values and beliefs. And had I not finished selling in 2019, I would have had those studios during the pandemic and during George Floyd. There's no way that I would have survived through that because I have a very passionate view around like justice. I couldn't have been in that environment through that. There's mm -hmm. no way. Okay. So then you launch into a new line of business for yourself. And by the way, while you were doing building out these businesses and growing these businesses, we quietly didn't really touch on the fact that you got divorced. Yeah. So that was really <laughs> early. So I opened the first studio in 2010 and I was divorced by mid-year 2013. So that was within the first three okay. years of the business. And uh -huh. I had the business for nine years. So this was largely on your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then navigating the exit and everything was entirely solo. Yeah, that mission. was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now, I would say that I definitely had support in terms of opening the businesses and launching them and getting them off the ground. But the sales, yeah, that was solo. Okay. And so did you, did you say you like, don't sit in the grief, move along. And that doesn't mean don't give the grief, the space that it needs to exist. Right. But don't just wallow in it, move on to the next thing. Yes. So what did that move on to the next thing look like for you? So I knew again, that I wasn't going to do pure bar forever. I did also know that I wanted to go fully into mental performance. I had done it for the majority of my life. Even when I had corporate jobs, I still was doing it on the side or had my LLCs, whatever it may be, because I needed to stay in my craft. Yeah. And I also saw the market evolving. When I was in school, it wasn't nearly as accepted. Like who's the shrink coming on the field? How people refer to it, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas the market was starting to shift and change. So I wanted to make sure that I was applying what I had learned in entrepreneurship from a mental performance standpoint to the craft. And they didn't teach that in school. So I was honestly fired up because I was taking new experiences and knowledge and applying it to something I loved. And so I was quietly building it and in this incubator phase of figuring out what it was going to look like. So by the time I sold, honestly, I already knew what I was going to be doing. Okay. And so then you launched straight into business for yourself, mm -hmm. which was being a mental performance coach. Yes. So that's when you went straight into that. Yes. And so who were your first clients? <laughs> So to be quite honest, all of my clients sign like NDAs. Sure. All of that. Yeah. So I I'll tell I'm you the sectors. Specific totally. Names. So yeah. in terms of the sectors, I have done like fintech. I have done social media companies, legal, sport, of course, like conferences, as well as sport teams, and then also consulting companies as well. Yeah. So I think I got really lucky because of connections and people who were like, oh, I'm actually interested in this. You had also been showing up in those rooms as the version of you that got their attention too. I was, pure. I think Pure Bar helped. Sure. Yeah, 100% sure. Pure Bar helped. 
Yeah, um, but you did the thing. You got there. Don't discredit your yeah. role. Don't <laughs> you. don't you do that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing that happened is when everything happened with George Floyd, I got some calls because people didn't know what to do. Right. And with mental performance, there's a huge piece of it that's related to diversity, equity, inclusion because it's performance of the company, but then it's also performance of the underrepresented individuals, which there's a whole list of what looks like underrepresented, right? And addressing that. And so that was another blessing because we were able to go in and honestly like help friends that were at great corporations and help them through that, which had they not, it would have affected the performance of the company more because we know what everything looked like because of the pandemic and that incident. Yeah, that was the pandemic as a whole and certainly that right. specific incident, but uh, so much around that, it was that was a very divisive one where it was like corporations felt this need to identify clearly sure. black and white, we stand yeah, here. 100%. And then honestly, it's just been on repeat since yeah. that of having to take a stance. Sure. We are experts in this field. It has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with this social topic. Right. But we have to take a stance. Yeah. Yep. It was a big deal. This is not something we're experts on. Envy any corporation or honestly, anybody with eyeballs on them. I think of the professional athletes too. Right. Who suddenly had to take stances. 100%. And they also have to navigate all of these partnerships that are paid partnerships with all of these brands that are also taking partnerships and maybe they don't align. There's just so much there. There's a lot. That all of a sudden they're psychologically impacted. Yes. And they don't know what to do with this. Right. At scale. Yep. Absolutely. So yeah, it was like a launch of the business, not a huge launch, but a little bit. Yeah. Had contracts, had three, two of the three got dropped because here comes the pandemic. Oh shit moment for maybe two months. And then boom, things changed quickly. So when you are taking on a new client, What are you looking to accomplish? Corporate or individual? Both. Okay. So if it's a corporate individual, I want to know why they're interested in talking to me. Like what idea do they have in their head? Yeah. What problem are they trying to solve? And lastly, what does success look like? Those are my three biggest questions. And you don't just take every contract, right? Because at least for me, it needs to align There have been contracts where our values are so opposite that I wouldn't be doing our company justice if I took those contracts, right? Because maybe they were trying to hire someone to like check the box, but it was going to end up being, let's say, a really toxic environment. Yeah. They didn't actually want to do the work. Correct. And so the reality is I am so motivated to help people be their best, whether that is as an individual or whether that is collective. So those three questions... Same as far as an individual is concerned. And let's go from point A to point B as effectively and as efficiently as possible. Sure. And those outcomes you were talking about, like we will get there. Yeah. Yeah. I just love how sport translates to life beautifully. It does, right? All the time. Yeah. All the time. I'm just using those references like Mm -hmm. you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Um, So this is probably almost too broad of a question to ask with that, but methods to get there. And I guess that is extremely broad, right? I love how you do, you just started, I just said, what are you looking to accomplish? And you just said in return, what are they looking to accomplish? (laughs) I think that's so important for any coach in any field of doing anything to be thinking about my consumer, my client, like what are they looking to get out of this? They came to me because they see something in me that they want. They see that I have something to offer them, but also we need to know what they're wanting out of the deal. Right. Or else we're not even going to get them where they're trying to go. Sure. Maybe, sure, we could probably be helpful in general, but I do relate that heavily to like this personal trainer role that I'm on now, you know? Absolutely. And like the first questions are, 
what do you want to get done? Because there are many different routes we can take that are generally going to positively impact your quality of life, which is ultimately what we're trying to do. Yep. But what are your specific goals? Yep. Because then we need to get a, a bit more narrow right. with this broad spectrum that yep. we do have. And we get to do that. It doesn't right. have to be a one size fits all. So I love that that translates over to your coaching as mm-hmm. well. So with the methods to get there, I guess when I think about mental performance, like yeah. coaching for a consumer listening, who's just generally curious, like I've never even heard of this. Like, this is interesting as someone who's an expert on coaching yeah. mental performance, like what are some maybe just like tangible, simple takeaways for someone that are a bit more broad that would apply to a lot of people? Like, how do we kind of enter this thing? Absolutely. So I'm always going to start from an introspective standpoint, right? Yeah. So if you go to the drugstore, you can pick up Advil, you can pick up Tylenol, all of that. But sometimes you need a prescription for what is specifically going on with you. That's what I would say about mental performance. Mm-hmm. We're trying to find the right prescription. So we have to go introspective first to understand what is coming up for you and what's at the forefront where you're just feeling like you're not at your potential or there is some type of noise that's cluttering your clarity and you haven't figured out how to get to that next step. It's almost like having a support system right there with you that can challenge where you're at, what your thoughts are and help you open up your limiting beliefs. So something I'll see often is people will say, okay, this is how I make money and this is what I need to do, right? And this is how I have my abundance. And on the other side, this is my passion. And they see it as separate versus why are you not able to take those and actually find a path where they both align? It's a lot of either or Mm -hmm. versus holistic and encompassing all to where it's like, no, you actually can have both and you can thrive. And as a result, you're going to have the money you want. You're going to have, you know, the career that you want. You're going to feel totally lit up because you're in your passion, right? And then on top of that, you're going to be a lot happier. And I think we discount how happy you can actually be. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. Right. It is. I've been receiving a lot of comments recently Mm -hmm. about happiness and people are just like, I can just see that you're so happy and not that you weren't like before, you know, it's like, you really can be, you know, life is still going to knock you upside the head to get ready. 100%. <laughs> like, I'm very aware of the reality that I've, there are a lot of things constantly going on outside of my control, yep. but I'm going to continue to take the best actions that I can and hope for the best. Right. Anyway. So that's, yeah. uh, it's cool because you're right. And a lot of it is that limiting belief stuff. Like you mentioned that. And that's just, I think that if I think of the narrative within my right. life, within the past couple of years, mm-hmm. that's been so transformative is really just looking at all these limiting beliefs. And the biggest one over the last couple of years that's occurred for me was thinking that I could not live a life without substances, thinking that I could not live a life without alcohol and drugs. Sure. I did not know that I had the ability to live without those in my life. Now that I have the awareness that those do not need to be a part of my life and I have a good support system and a spiritual program that helps me. I get the opportunity to live without those things. And so now it's just been this like bulldoze of like, okay, bye-bye limiting beliefs, you know, and there've been other ones that have occurred within the gym and different times, but, but just thinking about those. And with that, if you identify a limiting belief for someone, so maybe it's the one I just stated, or maybe I've never been blank. So I could never be blank. Mm -hmm. I've never been in shape. So I could never be in shape. I've never been peaceful, 
So I can't do that. That's not who I am. I'm a very divisive, confrontational person, sure. whatever. What would you say to attack that? Like, what would be just a quick, like, all right, here's this. Yeah. So I think asking questions is one of the best ways sometimes to put it back on someone else so that they can examine their beliefs, right? So in terms of peace, right? And never having experienced that, usually that means someone came from a life where there's a lot going on and maybe home life was really chaotic and crazy and whatever else it may be. And so when things are not chaotic, they actually might feel uncomfortable because it's not their norm. Their nervous system is used to being in survival mode. So sometimes the question is thrown back on them like, all right, so do you want a peaceful life? That's the first question. Yeah. You're telling me a belief. Why is that even coming up if that's not a desire? Okay. And so if the question is yes, that you do want peace, now we have to talk about what does peace look like? And if there's a vision for it, then that's another indicator that that was put in them for a reason. When we get rid of our fears and we get rid of all the limitations and we have that vision where it's like, that feels so good or, oh my God, like, yes, this is who I can be or what I would love to have. That actually is your truth. But all the conditioning and all the fears is what keeps us away from it. So once I hear that vision, it's my job to be a cheerleader towards that. Yes. And now we've got to talk about what life looks like now and what that peace looks like. And then we have to figure out how do we get from point A to point B? What in life needs to go? And it's not like an immediate, right? We have to take baby steps and start to figure out how do you actually exercise boundaries? How do you execute self-care? How do you make sure that you are setting uninterrupted time aside for focus in your craft and in your job and in your career and whatever else it is? And slowly they start to get comfortable because you don't want to completely shock the nervous system because that's when people will revert. What's coming up for me too is the reality that they then have to grieve the loss of their previous behaviors yeah, and all that comes with that, sure, which is often relationships and other things. And that is not easy work, right? but it is beautiful and worthwhile work. 100%. What also comes to mind was something I heard just last night about demonstration versus persuasion. And so in coaching, thinking about demonstrating these things rather than just like talking at them, I guess that came up for me. That just felt powerful for me because yeah. I think about that in any coaching setting again of like, if I can demonstrate something for you, that's going to have far more impact than if I just try to talk at you. 100%. And the same with the quality of life stuff. Like the best way to positively impact someone else's quality of life is just to live a good one yourself. Yeah. And then hopefully they, they come, they want more. Right. But that just comes with the inquiry that you made of like, okay, well, first we have to ask, like, is that something you actually believe? Is that something you actually want? What does that look like? Right. And let them walk down that road and let them fill out the piece of paper themselves. Yeah. I mean, you instead of you writing it for them. Yeah. You have to give people agency in their path forward. I yeah. think that's one of the strongest ways. It's If you think about it, if you're just dictating things, that's not helpful at all. It's not an effective method for no, change. Not at all. And we need examples. Look at how that's gone societally. Right. And we need examples, right? When you asked about tools before, you think about sports psychology, we immediately go to like focus, visualization, routine. So whether that's pregame routine, postgame routine, morning routine, evening routine, mm -hmm. right? Emotional regulation, all of those things apply. And you can read what that is and you can use the tools. But without 
examples and a vision or without getting deep into how that applies to you, that's the differentiation. And that's where like a coach and support makes a difference. You're going to get there a lot quicker. Yeah. You're being the biggest cheerleader of AKA you are just reinforcing repeatedly mm-hmm. until it starts to actually sink in right. because just thinking of it one time and then putting it away on the shelf does absolutely no good. Right. And so we have to revisit it all the time. And yeah. if there are people within our ecosystem, coaches, mentors, friends, whatever that understand that's where we're trying to go. They have the ability then to help us head that direction. Right. Oh, that's so powerful. (laughs) I love what you do. Thanks, girl. I love what I do. Like, I feel lucky to do what I do. I do. Yeah. And how many times can I say I do? (laughs) (laughs) I do, I do, I do. Right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yep. Okay. So let me ask you, this is a question I love to ask every guest. And so what is something that you feel that you are doing well that you would like to do better or do more of? So one thing that was one of my strengths, but then later became even like a deficit was my mental strength. And so as an entrepreneur in grad school, like I always knew how to power through as an athlete, you figure out how to power through, but eventually with age, with stress, whatever it may be, my body was like, excuse me. So giving my body, my physicality, a voice has made a huge difference in my capacity over the last year. And I feel like I'm just now getting into like a sweet spot of combining that mental strength and that physical voice. And so there's almost like, honestly, just a different sensation that I'm experiencing, period. And there are so many different levels of like performance, right? Like performance at the ego level, performance through like where the passion and the work is being done through you. There's all these different levels of it. And so this level right now and getting intimate with it is really cool because there's definitely work being done and like a push to get there. Yeah. But it's not a, I have to make that happen. Yeah. There's a fluidity of intuition, of knowing what is for me, what to show up for and let things come and go with grace versus this like stress. Yeah. Just push through. Yeah. That's really cool. Thanks. And that came from overloading to the point where you had to recognize shit. Yep. This isn't working. Yeah. Not even aware that it's overload because again, with mental strength, it's like you can push through, you can push through. Yeah. And then your nervous system eventually is like, nah. Yeah. So I also, let's see here. I think I'm going to ask you this one, which is what is something that you are currently doing that you would actually like to do less of? I would probably like to delegate some of the work that I'm doing more. And that's just, there are certain stages of business where it's like, is that the smart thing to do financially or not. So I would say, yes, there are definitely more things I would like to delegate from a work and business perspective. Let people help you. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. It's hard. 100%. It's hard. Yeah. Especially when you think you can do it the best. Right. Because you can, because you care so much about it, but it doesn't always mean it's the best use of your time. Exactly. So what are three things that you are grateful for today? Okay. So grateful for today first and foremost, my support system. I think I'm so lucky with the people that I have in my life, whether it's family, whether it's friends, it's a really awesome group. Yeah. Yeah. And they are so nourishing. Do you feel like you prioritize pouring back into them? 
Yes, I would say that socialization probably is not my number one. Okay. But it is an essential part of the formula. Yeah. Because I'm an introvert, so I can spend a lot of time alone. So definitely grateful for that. Okay. I would say grateful to also be in my work and my passion and my purpose. That feels really good. Yeah. And lastly, I would say grateful for my intuition because I like where it's leading me and having a louder intuitive voice helps me to not waste time. And that's something you've just cultivated over time by spending time with yourself? Yeah, I would say the intuition has gone through different stages, Uh but the one now is just like so aligned, so at peace. Part of it also has to do with that integration of like the physicality. I think that's taken the intuition to a different level. Yeah. But yes, I think we're always developing the intuition. Yeah. Justin Resvani, do you know who he is? No. He's actually a member at Collective. Okay. I think he's living in Florida right now. I'm okay. not really sure. <laughs> Justin, we miss you. Come home. <laughs> he was on a recent episode. Okay. And he was on Forbes 30 Under 30, and yeah. he's just done some really cool work. And he's like about to launch this thing called Zion, which is a awesome. platform for creators. He did one. It went yep. super, super well, sold yep. it. And now so he's cool. on to his next. And it's really, really cool. Yeah. That's the whole awesome. concept is like just hard to get your brain around. It's yep. so cool. Anyway, I love what he had to say about that topic, which yeah. was literally, he was like, yeah, so for me, if it's not a fuck yes, it's a fuck no. Yeah. Period. Right. And I was like. I mean, I've heard people say that. Right. And that's wonderful. But like, how did you cultivate that? How did you do that? And he's like, I feel it so strongly. Right. Like I've spent yeah. enough time trusting myself sure. and paying attention to what resonates and what doesn't. Like yep. he's just done the practice long enough yeah. that it's like an easy thing. Yes. And so I think that's so cool because for somebody who feels, because there's going to be plenty of people out there mm-hmm. who like really don't, they don't feel that way. Like they don't feel like they understand, you know, something comes at them, an opportunity, a a thing that they're asked to do that they don't really want to do, whatever. And they don't know if it's a fuck yes or a fuck no. They don't have a clue. Yep. But through spending time getting to know yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, doing that mindfulness. Yes. Time inside your own brain, you flex that muscle. Right. And with reps comes ease. Yes. And he just has a lot of reps with it that made it easier. And it sounds like yours has just had a lot of reps. And that's so exciting Thank you. because that's something that people can cultivate. And that's something that has come so far in my own life. Right. And I wasn't even two years ago. I couldn't have told you an independent thought. I didn't have one. I didn't spend time inside my own brain. Sure. So to see that trajectory for less than two years for me personally, from, I don't know what I think. Right. I opt out of that to now feel really like I'm coming more and more into that is good exciting. It's exciting. so good. Yeah. So three things I'm grateful for, because I like to touch yes. on my gratitudes as well, is one, I am grateful for the fact that I practice mental toughness. And what I mean by this is yeah. I did a shoot the past two days for 511, mm-hmm. which was amazing, but it was cold outside and I definitely had to do things in shorts <laughs> and tank tops. And there may or may not have been some times where I was being sprayed with right. water and it was cold. And my thought is, Shout out to Ice Barrel because they're one of my new partners and I've been getting to know them for a long time and I'm such a fan of cold therapy. And so I'm really excited to be working with Ice Barrel. But anyway, through... Regularly mm-hmm. exposing myself to cold. Like I call myself seasonally wimpy. We got that from, do you remember the girl at the event? I literally, yeah. I, I, yeah. what is her name? She's Which, from California or she lives out in California right now. I don't remember. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Movement maestro. Yes. Anyway. Yes, okay. Yes, if yes. you're listening, what? Love you. Yes. Anyway, she calls herself seasonally wimpy. I'm like, that's mm, yeah. resonates. But because of that practice, mm-hmm. I'm able then yesterday and today to be like, you can be cold. 
you're going to be just fine. Right. You're not loving it, but like you'll love it when it's warm. And for now, just suck it up and do it. So anyway, I'm grateful for mindset. that practice of that mental toughness yes. through that cold exposure regularly as a habit now, mm-hmm. because it made that whole experience the past two days enjoyable. You know, I wasn't so focused. I mean, yeah, you're so cold, but like, you're like, right. I'm fine. You know? And, yep. and so that's cool. That's seeing the implementation in real life. Yeah like working. Right. So I'm grateful for that. I am also going to tie this into that, which is I'm grateful for male vulnerability mm-hmm. being strength yeah. because Tim Kennedy was a part of that shoot. And so Tim Kennedy is a green beret, a former green beret, mm-hmm. army veteran, MMA fighter, you name it. He's a very identified as a masculine man yeah. who also is very public about the importance of male vulnerability yeah. and how it's actually a sign of strength. And I love that it comes from him in that way and to see it in action. And then when I think about the men in my life who I feel are the most whole men that are the most masculine men, right? they're also the most vulnerable. They are capable of being human. So I love that. And then the last thing is just that I am grateful for having a mentor in my life that points out to me that my actions are selfish. Okay. I don't love it. Yeah. I don't love it. Right. In fact, it pisses me off. Yeah. But I'm so grateful that there's someone in my life who points out when I'm acting out of selfishness and how I need to get outside of myself and take a look at my role. And when I have hurt someone, what have I done to hurt them? And actually it ain't comfy. It's not fun. I wish I didn't have to do that work, Yeah, but I get to be free from it once I walk down that path. So I'm so grateful to have a mentor in my life that does that to me. That's awesome. That's been a conversation this week. Good. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get through it. Right. (laughs) So where can the listener find you and support you? Yep. So I think the easiest is Instagram, just Roshana underscore Moss. Okay. That's the easiest way. If you want to send a note, you can do that, but all the information is there and you can find me there. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. All of her information will be in the show notes for you guys. So if you didn't catch that, just roll on down to the bottom and you'll get all your info there. So last but not least, if you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it very much. If you would follow the show, if you would rate and review it, share it with somebody that you think is going to positively be impacted by it. And last but not least, we hope that you have a beautiful day. Thank you so much. Thank for you. Me. Appreciate this that. This is wonderful. Yes. Let's thank go you. eat some food. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Bye, guys.